0: Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I think I might tap out a little bit on today's episode. I I, um, I cracked one of my teeth. I cracked a molar in the back. And my tongue has been rubbing against this cracked molar. And it's really irritated the shit out of my tongue.
1: It's been like and over I a ta- week Yeah, now. and I
0: taught on the weekend. And all I did was speak like nonstop for fucking 16 hours. And I, my tongue is just fucking... My mouth hurts. I think yeah. I'm, I might... We'll <laughs> see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm going to see a dentist today, though. Yes, you I are going to hate a dentist the dentist today. I hate the dentist. Who likes going to the dentist? What kind of shitty job is, is that? <laughs> is this why
1: you've been so cranky all day today? Because you've got a dentist appointment this dentist. afternoon. <laughs> I hate the
0: dentist. I hate the dentist. The because <laughs> uh, I just keep seeing Steve Martin in um, the Little Shop of Horrors. That's what I'm. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna get on top of me and start singing a song or something.
1: I don't think that that's what this dentist is gonna do to you. I've seen him many times. He's never once gotten on top of me and started singing. So does I you think wear,
2: you're wear, good. Not that you wear. remember. I mean, they do put you out sometimes.
0: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> does he wear like a, a, a biker leather jacket, like a, a 50s greaser leather jacket? He does not. Okay, so You're we down. don't have to worry about this. You'll the be safe. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> well, hey everyone, it's Amanda, and we are speaking to Alicia on Zoom today. So she kind of stumbled across our podcast a few weeks ago, and I mean, she can tell you how that happened, but um, she said, hey, how do you guys come up with your guests? And she sent us a little blurb on herself, and one part of it, although she does 7 million things, and again, I'll let her tell you about that, because there's two. <laughs> many. Um, this, we're, I'm talking about somebody who I just found out has been to 10 different colleges and has multiple degrees. I didn't even know that. What stuck out to us is that she does um, massage work on animals. She works with horses. And Mark and I have always said, we need to get somebody on who massages animals. But that is like one of a billion things she does. So we don't know where the conversation is going to go today, which, as you all know, is are my favorite topics when there is no topic. Give us some background on yourself. So how long you have been a massage therapist, how you got into it, and then we will go into how you started working with animals.
2: Oh my gosh, so many options to go to. I really appreciate you guys having me on the show today. I am really excited to get to be here today and talk about some of my journey. I've been doing massage since I was five years old. When, <laughs> when
0: you were doing stuff at five did you know you were doing massage or did you you're just like i'm just gonna do this thing i'm just gonna rub my mom i'm gonna rub my dad i'm gonna rub my siblings I'm gonna rub my friends or did you like because like we have a, our four-year-old daughter because we're a massage therapist she will come and start doing kneading and stuff she's like look i'm i'm doing massage i would have never put that together at five just because i'd never had exposure to it but did you know you were doing massage when you were at five
2: yeah so it's interesting i have a really amazing mother she's always been amazing Um, I have two younger brothers. They're two and four years younger than me. And, um, my youngest brother was a preemie. And so when my mom, she got really busy with my youngest brother and she would give us all a massage before bed and tell us stories when we were kids, she wasn't a massage therapist. She was just a really nurturing, wonderful mother. And, um, when she got too busy, then I took over that role at age five to give, um, my younger brother three. I just got goosebumps.
1: That is so like the cutest, cutest thing. When my four-year-old massages me, I'm like, Oh, this is so nice because, well, one, she's actually pretty good at it. For four, these teeny tiny hands, (laughs) she's got some power. But I feel like she really enjoys doing it. If I'm like, mommy's neck hurts. Like, she likes doing it. That's so cute. So
0: I have a question, though. When you say your mother gets too busy, single mom?
1: No, I mean, like,
2: um, she was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And it was just a lot to take care of three kids. And my dad would be at work. And we grew up on 15 acres. So we had all that acreage to take care of. Gotcha. Couple dogs and um a garden. <laughs> Lots just, of stuff. Just a yeah, lot of stuff. I can see how you get too busy to do it. the
0: to do the nighttime ritual type of thing. I get it. I yeah. Get
2: it. So um we did that and I'd tell him so I would just make up stories from scratch. Um he'd give me a subject matter and I would just make up a story while I gave him a massage. And then um as we got older I just kept giving my brother's massage. And then it was the kids at school who were hurting and my stepmom who used to work the floor at a TV station. And, um, I'd like rub her feet when I'd go up to see them on the weekends or whatever. And, um, I was just that kid that whenever anybody was hurting, I was just like, sure, I could fix stomach aches and headaches. And I did energy work without really knowing what it was like. I knew what massage was, but the energy aspect was different. And when I was five years old, I held the belief that I was such a big spirit that I could hold all the world's pain as well as my own so that no one else would
0: ever have to. You hurt. see, this is the shit I'm talking about. Whenever I say people are meant to do this type of thing and then I can't remember what her name, Nancy, the last time we recorded, she's like, it's, it, you're going to get wrong. Barbara. It's not that this is an innate thing. I'm like, bullshit. It has a fucking this is an innate thing. I didn't do this. I didn't think like this when I was a little kid. I was never like, oh, I'm going to help heal people. Oh, you're hurting. Let me help you out. I was never like that and neither were all my friends, but people like you are and therefore you find this thing that helps people in the future. Like you were you meant can to I, do this I type of thing. Can I help to
1: clarify a little bit about why Nancy was saying it's not necessarily <sighs> innate? I'm just I'm just, okay. I'm just yeah, giving yeah, you yeah, the yeah, other yeah, side yeah, of it yeah. because I know you really, really well. Alicia I met you five minutes ago, so she doesn't know this about you, okay. but just as an example, you know how the other day you were contacted by somebody you and I knew, what, 14 years ago. Okay.
0: Okay.
1: We both knew this person. Um, Her and I kind of lost touch. Mark and her lost touch as well. But whenever she's got some sort of major life dilemma, she'll send him a message. Hey, coach, can you help me out here? This is what I'm dealing with. You know, whether it's issues with her child or her husband or whatever, she'll message him. There's a whole bunch of people in this world who Mark has met and knew in like past lives of his, but they still will reach out to him when they have problems. And I always say to him, there's something about you that people trust and they feel comfortable with cool. and this is why you're good at what you do. So you okay. might have not been like Alicia where you're like so I'm a healer and I is, know I'm a healer. So you're,
0: you're, you're really just supporting my argument in that it's it's this innate thing. It's this thing that I do that people feel that they can trust and say things to me and come to me for whatever advice or whatever the case is. People don't do this to a lot of other people. They do it with me, right? It's in this innate thing. It's this innate thing for you to be this healer person who touches people and wants to do that. Does that make sense? You're yeah. actually supporting my argument. I am a very supportive wife. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'll still argue that to be this innate thing. All right, Nancy. Right?
1: She, Nancy's going to hear this but and does, she's going to send me an email. <laughs>
0: but does that, does, that make, does that make sense, though? Yes,
1: I understand what you're saying. Is there something innate? And I I didn't disagree with you. I think all Nancy right, was right, trying right. to say is that it's just people have different skills and talents and it's how you how you use them. So, you know, at 5 years old somehow you knew that you could hold people's pain and heal them, which I think is freaking amazing. It is. I mean, I've had a 5-year-old and I don't know. Most 5-year-olds <laughs> are pretty
0: dopey and self-centered, right? <laughs> Most of the time.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting thing, but you know, the flip side of that that's important to talk about is if you are have that kind of intention to hold that space and you've never been taught the skill set of grounding and having healthy energetic boundaries, it creates somatic issues for a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Pain and dysfunction. So what I was doing is like, and it also, like if we're being super real about it, doesn't necessarily give the other person autonomy to give that energy over. Because we decide that we believe that we can help them. Mm. And so we just do it.
0: Gotcha. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense, yeah.
2: And so um, I ended up getting really sick for a long time when I was a kid. I had headaches and stomach aches and like all these things and ulcers by the time I was 15. I went to all these Western doctors and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me because I was just taking energetically on like all of this stuff.
0: Can I just ask both of you guys a question? Does everybody take on other people's energy? And just some people are just very mindful to that. Like, did I do I take on other people's energy? And I just don't know that I do. And it, it manifests in certain ways. And I just don't equate it to like I took on. someone's. Well, energy let's work. ask the person who actually does energy work okay, first.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't like to make absolute statements, but I'll put this. Here is that our emotions carry an energetic frequency to them. And oftentimes we wrong target and we send energy towards people that we're upset with. And when we lack bandwidth for a day and we aren't centered, then oftentimes that general outpouring affects us subconsciously or consciously. And so if you're around somebody who's really agitated, and you're not grounded and not paying attention, That you, then you might find yourself becoming agitated, even if you're normally a very calm person. Mm-hmm. There's a
0: whole bunch of people that are listening to this right now that are like, I don't understand this energy stuff. I don't know what you mean by grounded. If you're telling me that I'm not grounded some of the time and that's when things can go kind of in directions that I probably wouldn't want them to go. What do we mean by grounded?
2: That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked. So sometimes people can feel anxious, right? And I, I feel like it's the easiest thing to kind of describe. So um, think of a container that has energy in it, electrons, and they're like bouncing back and forth, right? And so when you have anxiety, it's like a small container, and it bounces fast, faster and faster, faster, because it's a small container, right? And then if you make the container larger, it takes a longer period of time for those electric signals to bounce, right? And so you're able to calm down. So grounding would be doing an activity which increases your bandwidth or creates more space for you to come deeper into your space to a space of neutrality, where you're able to actively control your thoughts, actions and in actions with other people and yourself.
1: I understand what you're saying. And just as Mark was saying, I know there's people listening that can grasp the concept but struggle with this. And I, I just want people who are listening and thinking that to know that even this, this process of grounding isn't just something that comes naturally. Like you have to consciously do it. It's difficult. Yes. And all of us, even people who are aware of the fact that this is happening and that you know you're absorbing other people's energy and you need to put up boundaries, even... Those of us that are aware of it um, find ourselves, like Alicia said, not paying attention and suddenly in a pretty crappy space. So it's it's not something that's just easy to do. Don't don't judge
2: yourself about it. You know, um, everything in life is about creating a habit life, right? So even if something makes sense and it's great or you're interested in it, it takes time to build it in and remind yourself to do it. It's actually a really beautiful segue into some of the work that I do with horses as an empowerment coach. Um, so I do groundwork with horses and I do clinics as well to help people realize how their energy and the tightness in their bodies can affect their horses. And doing that in a way that um, helps create a safe container without shaming our, like them or creating guilt, um, but really rather coming to that space of um, letting go of ego and expectation And thinking of energy as um, something that we take and you think of grounding, right? And you take your energy and trying to like do different breathing and coming into your body and putting the energy like down through your legs and into the ground Um, or up through your head and into the sky. So like if you have a headache, like pain, we think about a pain, it's just stuck in the small little space of your head. But how we think about pain, it's like, yeah, it'll be more intense if it's just in your head. But what if you put that energetically out towards the air? in the sky, which has infinite space that can hold the pain that you're experiencing.
1: This is why you end up with like pain at the base of your neck or a pain at, in the back of your head or pain in your hips or lower back or at the bottom of your feet, because it doesn't have anywhere to go and it's all pent up in a teeny tiny little space. And so five-year-old Alicia was massaging her family, her friends, everybody, and try, literally taking on all their pain and creating pain in your little tiny body like
2: yeah so i had a lot of stomach issues and headaches and um yeah and then it's interesting if people want to get into the different chakras and like where the energy gets stored because of like how it aligns to those different places um i find people these days oftentimes have a lot of tightness in their neck and like blockages in their throat chakra which is not really surprising energetically right now um but like to release that and um, disperse it. Like it doesn't matter where the um, energy is stuck in the body, is that we are able to move it. And that's why moving our physical bodies and exercise, even if it's just like going for a walk outside, is really important because it's easier to just like ground and let things go rather than staying set,
1: stagnant. So fast forward then. Five years old, you start massaging people and you decide to take on the entire world's pain, which I can't believe a five year old even understands that concept. At what age did you realize what you were doing to yourself energetically at what age did you decide I could do this professionally like I I like helping people I want to continue doing this that's a funny story I'm ready
2: um I started seeing a chiropractor more regularly in Seattle um, Washington which is where I'm actually from when I was 19 years old and um she is the one that helped me learn how to ground energy and I was going to college at that time for my um associative arts degree uh, with a basis in education. So most of my degrees are in education um, in one form or another. But then I was I went back to Centralia and one of my friends from Seattle came down and he was working with a guy who was going to massage school. And he was just like, Hey Lise, Elise is my given name, but everybody that knew me back then called me Lisa because most people can't pronounce you Lisa. It's just adding another letter. You know, it's lots of funny things. It's fine. Um but, uh, my friend he came down and he's just like, you know, Lise, you're always giving everybody massage for free. Like, why don't you just like go to school for it and making sixty dollars. Uh, an hour at the time, sounded great as a Um, Mm 20-year-old. I ended up moving to Seattle with my fiance at the time. And I went to massage school. And uh, I finished my AA and then I went up to um, Seattle and I was like, yeah, sure, like I'll do massage for a couple of years while I figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. So this is the the funny part of the story is because like m- massage was never supposed to be a long term gig.
1: Even though you were doing massage since you were five. That's right. It was never supposed to be a long term gig. Yeah, five from five is not long enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just the thing is is I just have a really big heart, and I've always been really nurturing. And it was hard for me to have a skill set where I could provide relief for people. And like, if I see somebody that's in pain like, and I have something that can help them, like, why wouldn't I help
1: that? Right. So you were just going to do this as a way to help people. It was never going to be a career path for you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was like, oh, I'll do it for a couple of years and then I'll finish up my degrees for education to become a teacher because I love kids and I really wanted to be a stay at home mom, and like have four kids and like do that whole thing. And then like work when my kids were old enough to go to school and um and then the irony is that I never got married and or had any children after going to college for 10 years for education. Um but I still wanted to help people and the beautiful thing about transitioning through all that was finally coming to a space of grounding the energy and understanding that I could help facilitate the healing process while still giving people the autonomy to be responsible for their own condition in life and not not take on that energy to my own detriment like i'd rather help empower people to live their most authentic lives like physically through helping them for a massage emotionally through helping them with the coaching all of those different pieces um because then they can go farther with how they, um, support their bodies and their families.
1: Okay. I'm trying to figure out which direction we want to go next. Do we want to talk about all the education piece or do we want to move into how you got into working with animals? That's a funny story too. So let's listen to the funny story. I want to hear it.
2: So I, um, ended up going to the Northwest School of Animal Massage, um, which was in in, like Washington and Redmond and, uh, I was just like, yeah, I want to work on the horses at the racetrack and do all these cool different things.
0: What makes you want to work with animals?
1: Oh, they're way better communicators than people. Mm. You're going to have to walk us through that much slower because you're also talking to two people who have have never had, we've never had pets. We're not pet people. Um, Mark is very allergic to a lot of things and animals are one of them. Um, My sister, when I was uh, growing up, she was allergic. So like we would have a pet and we'd have to get rid of it because she would always react. So like we've never grown up with animals to the point where actually our children are slightly afraid of animals. Like we try to make sure we try to make them more comfortable around our friends who have dogs because nobody in our families have animals.
0: I don't blame them for being scared of dogs, by the way.
1: I know for like how you just said animals are way better communicators, Mark always says animals freak him out a little bit because he's like, you don't know what they're
0: thinking. I don't trust chickens. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're, I don't what you're thinking. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I don't trust you. Well,
1: I'll tell you, Alicia, years ago, probably like 10, 11 years ago, um, some of my friends were go- planning a day to go horseback riding Forget and I, I used to love horseback riding so I was like yes I'm in I'm going and so I tell Mark like you know a bunch of us are going riding you want to come he's like nope are you fucking crazy and I was like what do you mean you ride motorcycles like why, why is this a big deal he's it's like an no 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 he goes I ride motorcycles I'm in control of the motorcycle he goes you're getting on top of an animal you don't know what they're thinking he's like think about it this way do I want to walk around with a monkey riding on my back no I don't he's like I'm sure that horse does Want you there, and I'm not going. And he would not come over. <laughs> so I think, think about
0: it. I'm like, I don't want no monkey on my back slapping me, going faster, faster, <laughs> turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, slow down. I don't want that. So, I'm not going to do that to somebody else.
2: I have so many bad jokes that go with that. I'm just like, that sounds like dating to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody
1: likes a monkey on your back telling you do this, do that. No, absolutely. So tell me, okay. First, I want to know what do you mean? Animals are better communicators.
2: Animals are better communicators because um, they don't have any ego. Is that
1: true? I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's not true. How would I know? I don't work with animals, but I'm just trying yeah. to think.
0: I think animals would might be better communicators because animals are probably less complex in the way that they communicate. In other words an animal will communicate by making certain gestures, by making certain faces, by making certain sounds. And it's consistent across the board. Every time this animal makes this face, makes this sound, makes this gesture, this is what it means. Versus me as a fucking human, every time I make this particular face, it can mean this or this or this or this or this. Because we have on the- egos. See, I was, there I was go. sorry.
1: I was still trying to wrap my head around what that means. Animals don't have egos. Now I understand you. Okay, I've caught, I'm caught up.
2: Yeah. So basically like, think of it like this. Like, we operate like, Humans and animals operate out of nonverbal communication, but a lot of people have gotten so used to being behind a screen, they've lost a lot of their ability to be able to recognize nonverbal communication, what it means. They have lost a lot of their ability to listen to their intuition and to be able to feel the differences in energy. Animals' survival relies on their ability to pay attention to those things. And to clearly communicate within their pack, their herd, et cetera. And so when you're able to drop into a space and let go of ego and let go of expectation and be purely present and listen and observe to the animal, the sentient being that is in front of you, then it becomes more clear what it is that they need versus a person. Like a person's on your table and you're, you're giving them a massage, right? then they're not going to always tell you that's too much. But an animal will always tell you if that's
1: too much. Well, and also like when you're talking about being very present, people, even the people on your table aren't always completely present in what's happening. The animal that's there, like a dog or a horse or whatever, they're just, they're in that moment like, hey, here's this lady and she's going to massage me and this is cool and this is all I have to do right now. People are always thinking about what's next. What's next? What do I have to do later? What's on my to do list for today? Never fully present in anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, like that can definitely be part of it. But I mean, an animal can also um, not be fully present if they're concerned, like maybe it's a windy day, and horses can hear up to two miles away from them. And it's so it's like this cacophony of sound and you don't necessarily you're like, I don't know what you're freaked out about right now. And they're like, Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Why don't you understand?
2: (laughs) And so then it becomes like, all right, what am I going to do? Because people and horses, they couldn't co-regulate because we have an energetic field, scientifically proven, that's electromagnetic, that it comes from our heart. Um, And horses, because they're larger animals, their heart electromagnetic sphere is larger than ours and can can encompass ours and actually release different hormones that are like feel good hormones. So when people say like, oh, that person is addicted to horses they legitimately might be addicted to horses.
1: I know some people that I'm I'm certain are addicted to horses. Like yeah. their entire lives are horses. Did you own a lot of animals? Did you have horses when you lived on the fifteen acres? I did. Uh, my grandfather bought me two white ponies for my fifth birthday. This is all starting to make sense now. <laughs> How long were you working as a massage therapist before deciding to go back to school? Since you're the forever student, to learn to treat animals. Um,
2: it's such a winding path. It's really difficult for me to remember. It's before I blew out my back, so I've had two low back surgeries. So when I first went to school to become a massage therapist for horses, um, my back was fine. And so my intention was to get to work on horses more so. Um, After having my two low back surgeries and being in a wheelchair for four months, because I couldn't walk more than 10 feet at at a time back in 2015, I now don't give as much massage to horses because uh, the leverage is more difficult. So it's more about doing the clinics and empowering other people to help their horses, gain connection Mm -hmm. and save more money by teaching them how to massage their own horses.
1: Okay, so that's how you got to the business you're at today. So you massage people now, but you also have a whole other business where you're working with people and their animals.
2: Yeah, so um, I do work with people and their animals, and that's where it comes into doing the clinics to help people learn how their energy and the tightness in their body impacts their horses on the ground and under saddle. So if a person has tightness in their body, creating imbalance and pain, and they're on top of the horse, the horse has to balance itself as well as the rider above it, which when you're unbalanced can create dysfunctional um, tightness and patterning in the horse's bodies, which decreases performance, increases potential for injury, and increases um, the potential of having behavioral issues that increase risk for the rider as well as the
1: horse. This is so fascinating. Like I don't, I'm just looking at Mark. I'm like, do you understand? What is happening here? <laughs>
0: yeah, I just would have never thought a horse or any other animal that you get on top of would have been like, I'm going to have to balance you out, human, up there while I do my thing. I always thought it would have been like, I'm just going to do my thing and you fucking figure it out. No, I'm serious. <laughs> that's that's what I would have thought. That's what I thought up until right this second.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's a really normal conception, even from a lot of people that own horses in various disciplines. So... um It's helping people understand the greater connection and the personal responsibility to a deeper level of partnering with horses. Because most people who have horses love their horses. They want what's best for them, and they're doing the best they can with the information that they have. And I think it's important for people to have grace with themselves and with their horses. Because just like we don't want to work some days, your horse doesn't want to either. And just really like letting go of the expectation, we like, well, we have this show that we have to go to where I want to do this thing. So we just have to do it and force through it rather than just being like, Oh, why does your horse not want to be caught? Maybe because every time you come to the barn, it has to work. And it doesn't feel like there's as much of connection there, right? And so then maybe someday you just show up
1: and you're just gonna sit in the grass in the pasture while your horse grazes and share space with it. So interesting. So who are the people that you work with mostly like are these people who you know own, own horses just to own horses are these show horses are these race horses is it a combination of everything
2: it's different things um so my postgraduate degree is in equine assisted learning and so that's why i um, match the working with horses on the ground as an empowerment coach so i help people with emotional regulation and communication and boundaries like in combination with those other things that i was telling you about just then um, because it all really comes together, right? The tightness in our bodies, our ability to show up authentically with a voice in the world, um, increase our health by being able to step forward as our authentic selves. Um, so I talk to people within the therapeutic writing world, people who are equine facilitated mental health providers, people that do equine assisted learning, people that show, um, just basically anybody that shows up and they're just like, hey. That sounds like really interesting and helpful. Um, Sometimes I partner with clinicians that are horse trainers.
1: There's like a whole equine world that I know nothing about.
2: A lot of people don't. Yeah. Some people need more of a sensory experience with with doing counseling and they go out or even education. Kids are helped academically by partnering with horses. There's something called horse-powered reading and horse-powered math. And we're working on horse-powered science.
1: Explain explain this to, well, me, but and our listeners. I'm sure there's some people that are going to say horse-powered reading, horse-powered math. Explain this to me. How how are we benefiting children's learning? How are we enhancing their learning by partnering with horses?
2: So there is a great book, if people haven't read it, it's called Last Child in the Wood. It's about nature deficit disorder. Um which shows that like kids actually make you go outside in nature and it helps you on multiple levels physiologically and helps you to be more present. And when working with horses, um, that layer that that wall that we oftentimes have with people, because we feel like the judgments that are being put on us is not present with horses. And so they're able to be able to really like drop into presence and, engage more in the content, whatever you're presenting the person, regardless of age. And then you have the sensory aspect of partnering with horses, Um, sight, touch, like audio, like all these different things. And there's the sensory processing um, theory um, that goes in there to help engage people. Like you hear about it more autistically, but it's just, it's for anybody really. And then we have multiple intelligence theory as different people process information differently. And schools statistically only um, teach two, two, maybe three tops of the intelligences out of the nine intelligences there, which is why a lot of kids check out in school. And one of the primary ones that um, are activated is the kinesthetic um, intelligence. And so they're able to engage with that when partnering with the horses in a way they wouldn't be able to in regular school.
1: I know that was kind of a long answer. But. Like I had no idea, as I said, at the, the top of the episode, I had no idea what we were going to talk about, but I had no idea that all of these things even existed. I don't know. Did you,
0: did no, you know about I know, this? I don't know any of this, this stuff. Nothing.
1: No, I had I no, anything. I had no idea. There was a whole world of like humans and horses. And I mean, I, you know, I, I live in
0: the suburbs in fucking Toronto. Yeah. Like What the fuck would I know yeah. about horses?
1: This, this is wild to me. Um, So I want to talk about you and your businesses then, you know, you've brought up this term empowerment coach a couple of times. I know, I know a friend of mine, that's a title she uses. So I have somewhat of an idea of what that means. But can you define what it is you do? And like what it would look like for somebody who is coming to see you for a for a session or an appointment, or I don't know how it works with with your business?
2: Sure. Um, Really quick before you go on to that, I would like to say that there are hypoallergenic horses for people who are allergic to them. They're called Backshire curly horses. And there are some Mustangs in the United States that have that genetic coding in them. As well as those that are bred off the plains,
1: there you go you can good, good you know. can partner with a horse, <laughs> good to know, yeah, they're really sweet, they're very comfortable to ride and horses, just like people have different personalities that I can believe. I went horseback riding once, oh, th- actually, let me ask you that first. what are your thoughts on horseback riding? because like I said, Mark like makes jokes about the monkey on our back, but he also like you know, he's brought this point to me a few times. He's like, it's cruel. No. And I'm like, I never really thought about it when I was younger. And I'd go to these barns. Like the horses always seemed like they were well taken care of. What are your thoughts on this? Like places where you can just go and that you don't own these horses and you just ride them?
2: Oh, this is a really hard and vulnerable question to answer. (laughs) But the honest answer uh, is that it can be hard sometimes. Because the type of work that I do is so nuanced in paying attention to the nonverbal communication of the horses, Mm -hmm. running my hands over their body and being able to feel the tightness in the different areas of their body, feel the energetics, is that sometimes I show up in lesson writing programs, even to try and have a lesson myself. And I'm like, this horse doesn't want to work. Right.
1: Right. So it is a little bit cruel.
2: I mean, I don't know if like cruel is a super strong word. And yeah. so it really depends on what is happening at the facility. And I want to go back again to the intention of the people who run those facilities and what, like we don't know what we don't know always. Right. And those horses could be treated with a lot of love and respect, but if the people don't, they're not in that space, then they're not in that space. Um, and a lot of times when you put horses, people on horses who don't know how to ride, they are having to balance. And it is harder on their bodies to carry people who are not fit and who are um, potentially over the 20% um, load that a horse should be carrying, according to science. That's not like a judgment on people who are overweight. That's just a two plus two two four situation. And um, just like if we are overweight it puts more pressure on our knees and they blow up
1: faster. Let me tell you the story I was thinking of then because now this, I mean, not that I didn't think so before. I think I've actually told the story on the podcast before, but now you've just confirmed what I've always been thinking. When I was probably about 17, 18, um, myself and a group of girlfriends went to, we were up north somewhere and we went to this facility that you could go and like buy a pass and ride for the. And so there was like a, a guide that took us on a riding trail, right? So you just get partnered with, With Whatever horse you get partnered with, like they just kind of give you one. And so I had been riding a few times in my life. So I was pretty comfortable on a horse. There was um, my group and then there was another group of, I think, four people that all came together. So there was this one man and he was given his horse. And I don't know why, but like instantly I looked at this guy and this horse and I was like, it's going to be a disaster. So this guy gets on the horse and he's beside me. And I just said to him, I'm like, have you ridden before? Are you okay? Because he looked so nervous. He's like, no, this is my first time. I was like, oh shit, this is going to be a disaster. Sure enough, we're riding. He's having so much trouble. Like he can't, he doesn't know what to do, right? And so I can see that he's frustrated. The horse is frustrated. All of a sudden I'm beside him. His horse turns and bites my thigh and won't let go. It's like, please help me. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just not moving. I'm just trying to get the attention of the guide who's like four horses in front of me. I'm like, he's got my leg. He's got my leg. He's got my leg. And so they, of course, came over and they said to the guy who was on the horse, like, get off now because when he lets her go, he's going to drop and roll. And that's exactly what happened. So he got oh, off really fast, and he they got him to let go of my thigh, and then the horse just like dropped to the ground and started rolling around in the ground. Oh,
2: that's so interesting. So that's um, the rolling is a stress relief response for the horses.
1: Yeah. So they knew they're like, you need to get off now, or like you're going down with this horse. But I had a bruise, like
0: oh yeah, like you wouldn't
1: believe. Like this horse was just holding onto my thigh, and I was like, I don't want to scare him more because. Like, right, like at this moment, it didn't feel like he had punctured skin and he didn't. He was just like holding yeah. like his teeth on my thigh. But this is exactly what you're saying. This horse probably didn't want to work that day, period. And then yeah. has this guy on who was like, he was a big dude. So pro- possibly too heavy and didn't know what he was doing, like uncomfortable, yeah. probably throwing the horse off balance. Like the whole thing just felt tense and felt uncomfortable yeah
2: and see if you would listened to your intuition you probably would have like held back a little bit more not gotten closer to
1: the horse i should not have i should not have been close to that man but there was also a part of me that felt so bad for this guy i was like he clearly like got dragged here by like his girlfriend or something he doesn't want to be here and uh anyway so mark has been somewhat right the whole time that maybe we shouldn't be riding horses that don't do want us to ride I know. I
0: them I know
2: yeah i mean like it's an interesting balance right because in order, it's In order for us to become better riders, to facilitate the process, you have to find the right match with the horse. And there's like different levels of like, how are we doing our best to support those horses, even if it's not ideal, Mm -hmm. just like we're in situations in life that are maybe non-ideal, but we still have to find a way to healthily maneuver and compromise and grow how do we navigate that ethically like it's really difficult
1: so we we got sidetracked but we were going to talk about what empowerment coaching looks like and what it is
2: yeah so the empowerment coaching that i do is virtually as well as in person um so that's the component of it being with or without horses um i tailor make the activities for the people because i see every person just like as they are like i don't like to put people in boxes and just be like here's the prepackaged thing there you go like it's gonna be great uh, <laughs> I basically talk to people about their goals, what they're struggling with, and really um focus on creating a safe non judgmental space where they feel like they can share without shame or invalidation as we work towards their goals at a healthy gradient that doesn't make them feel like they need to shut down.
1: who seeks out your coaching? I know that again i'm it was the same when I asked you about like what type of horse owners come to you, but like who would come to see an empowerment coach? Like, give me some examples of who this could benefit.
2: People who feel like they don't have a voice, people who feel like they're really struggling to confront their fears, that it's negatively spilling out. Um, people who feel like they are not able to emotionally regulate very well. Like they're just constantly overwhelmed by whatever emotion they're experiencing. Um, People who struggle to make friends, um, people who struggle to talk about sex and have like a healthy dynamic with
1: their partners or partners. So you are all over all over the place. And how do you how do you balance this? How do, or I mean, it's not a balance, I guess, but how do you go from the body worker? to the body worker and animal body worker to the empowerment coach and also incorporating the animals. Like there's, I feel like you do, you do all the things.
2: I do. It's one of the benefits of being single. You do all the things. (laughs) (laughs) I can just work on my, my legacy life goal of trying to empower at least a billion people on the planet.
1: You can't have a monkey on your back. No, absolutely not. No,
2: it's interesting. When I think about the things that thread through all of them, is having healthy boundaries because as a massage therapist, that is one of the key components of us doing our work, having healthy boundaries with our clients, having healthy boundaries in communication in our energy, um, having healthy boundaries and how we market ourselves and, um, really saying I'm worth whatever I'm charging and I'm not going to have you belittle that. Um, I mean, like I can talk to massage therapists after 20 years of being in practice, like if somebody's struggling and needs mentorship, I've been able to take my practice from zero to like $7,000 in four months in a brand new place as a cash-based practice.
1: Right. You, you moved States, right? Like you opened up and you were suddenly like crazy busy in a, in a few months of living in a new state.
2: Yeah. I, um, I showed up and I had no community, no job and no place to live. I started a practice from scratch. It was actually, it was a really scary moment. It's a great conversation to have for people who are being afraid to walk away from um, being like an employee or um, doing into going into a different modality. So for most of my career, I really focused on insurance work. And that was part of what it was great for me to just like go back to Washington State or whatever, where I was in network with a place with Regents, which had been a closed network for God, like 15 years or something. So I just show up and tell chiropractors and doctors, be like, Hey, I'm here. I take Regents and they'd just be like sending me all of the clients. So it was like cake, cake to take like a practice from zero to a lot of money. $6,000 $6,000 $6, or more in just three months, like when I was in Washington. Um, but here, um, it was the first time in my career that I created a practice that was solely cash-based. And from the standpoint of cash, that just means like not taking health insurance. And uh, I had some trepidation about that. Like I don't have any of my old network of clients here or like contacts with other providers. I don't have insurance. Like what is this going to look like? Is the same way that I market going to work here that did in Washington? You know, East Coast personalities versus West Coast are very different. Um, but I, um, I was really successful. And I'm incredibly grateful that, um, that my skill set and my ability to be a good businesswoman
1: carried through that. Why do you think you're so successful? Because I'm very real.
2: <laughs> uh, my, my general joke is that I, uh, I'm incredible at what I do as a massage therapist. Um, there's lots of things in life I'm not, not good at. Massage just doesn't happen to be one of them.
1: I appreciate your answer, though, because that's something that, you know, Mark and I preach in all of our courses that we teach. So we own a continuing education company here in Toronto, and we teach everything from modalities to uh, business. And, you know, one thing that we always preach to massage therapists is just being real, because there are people when when you're going to find Um, a practitioner in whatever, whatever profession it is, you're not looking for the most technically skilled person. Most of the time, you're looking for the person that resonates with you, you're, you know, that can make you comfortable, somebody that, you know, that, that is just appealing to you. And sometimes it's just, you know, you mentioned gut feeling and intuition before. Sometimes it's just that feeling, this is the person that's going to help me. So you going to a totally new state and opening up a cash business and just selling yourself and being real you attracted people that were like, I like this lady.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it really is important. I mean, I charge a hundred dollars an hour and I walked into a space just non negotiable. Like this is what I charge because I know the quality of the work that I bring. And there's a joke with my friends, like people meet me and they're just like, there's never a stranger in the room when you see us there because that's how I treat people. Like I see them and I take them at face value as soon as they walk in the door and I treat them as if we've always been friends. Um, but, having healthy boundaries within that, and I just can't say that enough the importance of like you can be friendly and you be authentic, but like you hold the line where the line is supposed to be, and people respect you for that.
1: What does that look like? People talk about boundaries all the time, and I've asked other guests this, and I always just like to hear people 's answers because I think for some people it's um it's a very vague concept, like what does it mean to hold healthy boundaries? What does it mean to hold the line like in Give me an example of what it looks like when you are respecting your own boundaries and making sure that people understand what they are. Uh, There's so many different ways to approach this.
2: So there are certain personalities that show up that can be abrasive and inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And um, some people try to diffuse the situation by engaging with them. And if a guy says something stupid to me, I just ignore him. All right. I mean, like sometimes women say stupid things, but you know, like I, I have, I'm pretty, like easygoing, and I'm not easily offended. But if somebody crosses the line, if they really cross the line, like I'll tell them.
1: So you won't let yourself sit in an, an un- uncomfortable situation if somebody's making you uncomfortable. You just say stop that.
2: Yeah, like I'll tell them stop it. I also know that like if anybody ever did say or do anything inappropriate, I would just tell them to fucking leave. Perfect. <laughs> just like just I would just be like, get out of my office. Because like there's nothing that's worth one like my career. And um, I'm just like, sorry, guys, like there's no level of awesome sex that you can offer me that's going to be worth my career, like move it along. <laughs> um, So <laughs> it's like, just to be frank, like, seriously, like no. And so I don't have any problem telling somebody to leave my office. There's always going to be another like great client that can step forward. And I think that's important. It's part of the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. And I think it's really important to touch on this just briefly, because a lot of massage therapists operate out of a scarcity mindset they're afraid that they're not going to be able to get enough clients and so they allow themselves to be in compromised positions even if it's a small like a low compromise right like a compromise from the standpoint of i'm uncomfortable right now because this person just said something that was awkward that i didn't like if it's sexual if it's political if it's like whatever and um and then they're just like oh these are all my clients and they can't go anywhere else because i just i only have as much as i need you know, instead of honoring that all of us have the autonomy to see whoever we want to, whenever we want to, and that if somebody leaves, another person will come in to fill their spot that needs that work more than that person that just left.
1: We hear that a lot with um, you know, you were talking about your rates, and this is what I charge, it's non-negotiable. We hear from a lot of therapists um who are afraid to raise their rates or charge what they feel that they're really worth because they're afraid their clients will leave or they won't pay that and you know that's obviously not respecting their own boundaries like you you're the only one that knows your numbers you know how much income you need to make you know how much your time is worth but therapists will set their rates based on what you know the person down the street is charging because they want to make sure that they're not going to lose clients to that person because that person's Cheaper.
2: Yeah, it's difficult. The game changed in the States, at least when Massage Envy came in about 15 years ago, if I remember the uh, timeframe, uh, because they were offering like massages for $40 an hour when the um, baseline was 60. So they started undercutting the industry. And so this conversation became more prevalent. Um, and it just really requires people to stand within themselves more so and just be like, I believe in myself. And, um, if people want to have a sliding scale, I think that's where the healthy middle ground is because you're just like, I'm worth X, but you've been my client for a long time. I know that you're in the situation. So within your integrity, knowing that I have bills to pay, just like you have bills to pay, this is the space of which you can operate it massage envy. No, I'm kidding, <laughs> dude. Like it's it, yeah. There's been a couple of them that have come out, but it's yeah. It was definitely a difficult thing, and um they they sold the practice for like a million dollars, their franchise God. or whatever it was. Um, so great business on their part from doing what they need to do, but it's just it's hard because then people go out and they're offering those employees minimum wage right. and having them operate on a commission. And, um, wanting them to work longer hours. And it's just really difficult for practitioners that are in that space. And they're just trying to get by. Like, I, I understand how hard it can be, but let me tell you something. Like I have been homeless a couple of times in my life, which not everybody knows. And so it takes time to like, to dig out of that, to, but to be in an abundance mindset and have a history of that, I think is important for people to see that it can be done. Um. And you just have to honor where you're at. Like when I when I was homeless, like nobody knew that I was homeless. I didn't act like a victim. I didn't, you know, like do drugs or fall into addiction or anything like that. I just like fell into like unfortunate situation. And I had to dig myself out of that. And so like, even if you're out there, like, and you're struggling and things look totally dire and you have no idea how you're going to be able to get yourself out, just don't give up. Just keep putting your foot forward out of faith in your ability and reaching out to community and you'll
1: be able to make it. Alicia, you have a lot of stories, a lot of stories. Like we started off today with you telling me that you went to 10 colleges, you have eight degrees. We are coming close to the end of the episode. You're telling me that you spent time being homeless. At some point, we may have to do a follow up with you because I feel like you have so many stories. Um, I have
2: so many stories. Yeah. I joke with people all the time that I should just have my own like TV series about all the epic things that I've experienced in life from like epically like awesome to like trauma and different things that I've I've worked my way through. But
1: you've obviously taken all of this and created this really unique lifestyle slash business for yourself. So I feel like this would be a good time if you want to, to share some of your contact information or website information, like people listening who want to learn more about the different things you do um, you know, how can they connect with you?
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, so they can find me at Fifth Element Massage. If you happen to be in the Charlottesville, Virginia area, want <laughs> to come get a massage from me. Um, if you're interested in coaching and mentoring from the massage, like aspect of things, I'm happy to do that or for the empowerment coaching from the standpoint of emotional regulation or clinics or in, any fun things like that or inspirational speaking gigs. Um, you can find me at global equine dot com. Uh and uh yeah, so there's lots there. You can also find me on Instagram at at Elisia Bus, E-L-Y-S-I-A-B-U-S-S. And you can deep dive into some of the other interviews that I've done. Um, uh, from the equine world, my men's group that I host, and the women's group that I host as
1: well. So many things. So many things.
2: Scratching the surface. We like last night I was on a round table podcast for uh, doing work to help support men's rights.
1: Whoa. Okay. So that's something that you'll be, if you go to Alicia's Instagram page, I'm assuming you'll be able to find information on all of these things. Um, Mark's mouth no longer works because of his cracked tooth. So I will ask Alicia before we sign off today. Is there any, anything we didn't really get to touch on anything that you want to share with our audience? Um, before we let you go back to your regularly scheduled life. You have everything you already need inside you. I love it. Simple, inspirational. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. Does your mouth hurt too much to do the outro? Oh no, he can't talk at all. So, As Mark would say, you guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.